Welcome to Element, the student ministry of Third City Christian Church. To find out more, go to thirdcitychristian.org backslash students. Christmas. Man, I loved Christmas growing up. Uh, you know, Christmas is one of those holidays that sometimes, sometimes people hate it because maybe they have memories of like not necessarily getting what they want or was that one of my kids? No, someone say, yep. Uh, maybe not getting what they want, or maybe, uh, man, maybe it was like memories of disappointment. But some people, it was like, you know what? It wasn't even about the gifts. And as I look back at Christmas, for me, I'm trying to think if I could remember the great gifts. I remember, uh, I think I can remember two presents that I got. And I actually, my mom sent me the Christmas list that I wrote when I was five years old. She sent that to me like, like, uh, how long ago, like two or three years ago, and it was like, I wanted a soccer ball, a red sled, and I wanted this game called Crossbows and Catapults. And so, yes, I was a huge little nerd in the making. I liked like, like Dungeons and Dragons type things. It was this little thing that shot checkers. And I remember that because my dog chewed it up like two days after Christmas. And so I only got to play with my present for like two days. But the other present that I remember was a set of little, little um, like squishy, like spongy, like kickball type things that I got when I was like seven or eight. And the reason I remember those, that present was because uh, that was a present that when I was hiding from my mom in the back of her van, it kind of revealed to me that Santa Claus might not exist because of what I saw in the back of the van in relation to what I got Christmas morning. It was like this weird moment. And like, I don't know if you still believe in Santa Claus, but it kind of created a little bit of question in my mind. So I haven't sorted that out yet, but I do something that has not changed. And my kids can testify to this. Christmas morning, I'm up at like 4 a.m. It has not changed. Yeah, you know it's true. Like 5.30 in the morning gets there. I'm walking into my kids' bedroom going, Santa came. Santa came. The presents. Let's go. Let's go open the gifts. And like I think about Christmas season is just full of anticipation. It's full of anticipation and it's full of, and it's full of hope. Even if Christmas has bad memories, the hope that maybe this year it's going to be different. And you guys, the first Christmas, that year was exactly the same for the people that we read in the story of the birth of Christ. And tonight we're going to be talking about a guy named Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, which means that, that he served at the local church. He did all the rituals. His, his, his dad was a priest, his grandpa was a priest, his great-grandpa was a priest, his great-great-great-grandpa was a priest, and the same thing about his, his wife. His wife's father was a priest, grandfather was a priest, great-grandfather, like you can go down the line and like, it was like all they knew. And here's the weird thing about their situation. They come from a line of people that have been waiting for Jesus to be born. Generation after generation of priests would live, and they would die, and they would think, is this going to be the year that Christ, Jesus the Christ, is going to be born? Is this the year the Messiah is going to come and, and bring salvation to our nation? You see, they were living under oppression, and so they were like, they had this anticipation that God was going to step in and do something, and every year, the year would go by. No Messiah. The year would go by, no Messiah, year after year. Generation 
after generation, hundreds of years going by and nothing. And people are waiting and anticipating. Until we get to this point of this man named Zechariah. Kind of a unique situation with Zechariah. He and his wife were at this point in the story in Luke chapter 1. They were very old. In fact, Abraham says that he's, he was an old man. And he goes, and my wife is, is along in years as well. He said it nicely, right? But they were both old. And they didn't have any kids. And what's different between nowadays and those days not having kids, if you don't have kids when you lived in that culture, you had no security for the future. There was no one to take care of you as you got old. You were kind of left to whatever society would do with you. And, and there wasn't like systems set up with like Medicare and Medicaid and, and like uh, the AARP and like cheap breakfast at Burger King and like all of that. It just didn't exist. And so here is Zechariah and his wife, childless, and had served faithfully over the course of their life in anticipation still that, man, maybe, maybe I'm going to get to see the Messiah. I want you guys to pick this story up in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. You can follow along, as Parker would say in the Bible in the sky, in the time of Herod the king, of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Now, I want to tell you something about someone when it says that they observed all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. You guys, if you're going to try to live a faultless life in the eyes of God, there is about... There's about this much of the Bible that's just like, these are the things you need to do. But according to Scripture, Zechariah and Elizabeth, man, they followed through. They were the righteous people. They were the ones that, like, got it right. They were the ones that you're like, man, they are such good people. Like, you know the people that go, go to your school that even if you're not friends with them, you would, like, look at them and go, dude, I would trust them with my, my lock code on my phone. Like, they wouldn't do anything bad to me. You know, everybody knows that person, that it's like, they would never do anything to me. That was Zechariah and his wife. It says they were, <clears throat> both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both of them were along in years. That so was like nice saying, they're old. And, and, and they recognize the desperation. And you can imagine, not just socially, but being the family that everybody looks at them and goes, man, why, did, why didn't they have kids? And in this culture, they would go as far as to say, man, did, what did they do to make God mad that they can't have kids? What's wrong with her? What is wrong with Elizabeth that she can't have any children? What did Zechariah do to make God mad that, they, that she has not been able to, his wife has not been able to conceive and have children? And so they lived under this stigma. And so here's what happens next. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty uh, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So here's the deal. Once in a priest's lifetime, he might get the opportunity 
to walk into the temple and take part of this aspect of worship, of placing this, this incense on the altar. Maybe once in his lifetime. And so here's Zechariah, all of his life, dealing with the disappointment of no children, dealing with all of that, and he's like, you know what? This is cool, though. I get to go in here and do this. I get to go in here and be a part of this. And he walks in, it says this, it says, it says, and when, uh, when the time came for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. So you could imagine Zechariah walks in, there's the altar. It's his job to place this incense on here and it would send up like great, it was like better than what you middle school boys put on before you go to school. It would smell really good and the aroma was pleasing to God and as he places it on here, an angel of the Lord appears and every time that happens in scripture, you guys, people are terrified. People are terrified. So anytime that you hear people talking about pleasant experiences with angels, like, I, I kind of, I tend to question that. I'm not going to say it didn't happen, but like, when, man, when I look at scripture and angels appear, it's like on the verge of people wetting themselves, okay? Like, that's more like it. It's like, no, angels were powerful beings and intimidating. And, and so the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he was like, oh, whoa, what did I, what did I do? What did I do? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. It'd be like, you know, if God appeared in front of me, be like, yes, God, I know, I was looking at that, I didn't mean to, I said that to him, I disobeyed my parents, I've done it all wrong, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, don't hit me. <laughs> you know? This intimidation of being in the presence of something holy brings us to our knees. And here's what he said. He said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. I want you to listen to this next sentence. Your prayers, your prayer has been heard. I want to talk to you guys tonight about miracles. People talk about Christmas miracles. People talk about uh, some USA hockey team being the miracle on ice, describing their Olympic gold. You guys, miracles are something completely different than what we have watered them down to be. Miracles are when God chooses to step out of eternity into our world and to move in some form of miraculous way for the purpose of his kingdom, for his purposes, not necessarily ours as individuals. It might benefit us. It might impact us. But he moves because he needs it. He desires something else to be changed. And his, his movement comes, miraculously happens, because he wants it to. I don't know if you guys think about this idea of a, a Christmas miracle. People will talk about uh, seeing, uh, like, I heard Santa Claus on the roof. It's a Christmas miracle. Did you hear that on the roof? I heard footsteps on the roof. It's a Christmas miracle. You know, like I think about that, and we have watered down the impact that God has chosen to, chosen to take on eternity and what a miracle truly is. 
And when Gabriel stepped in, he was announcing the beginning of a miraculous movement on God's behalf for the sake of all of humanity. And it was a true miracle. Now, the first thing that I want to ask you about miracles, you guys, is when you have asked God to move in a miraculous way, because I understand that when we talk about miracles, it's difficult. Because all of us have asked God for something. At some point in your life, I guarantee that you have probably said something along the lines of, God, if you would just do this, then I would fill in the blank. And I want to talk to you guys about even starting at that point and asking for a miracle. And I know that almost all of us in this room have have a loved one that we have prayed on their behalf. And God, would you please just heal them? God, would you please step in and do something here? I can't stand to watch this happening anymore. About three years ago, I had a, I had a good friend that, that I watched uh, die of cancer, and I prayed for him. And I asked God, I said, God, w- would you step in and do something here? And God's answer wasn't what I wanted. And you guys need to understand something that God knows exactly what we all need in the exact moment that we need it. And just because he doesn't cater to, to my needs as an end of, like, like my, my needs in a moment, man, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care because he cares for you deeply. When we ask God for a miracle, the first question that you have got to ask is, am I wanting what God wants? In what I am asking for, does my heart desire what God's heart is desiring? Because maybe a miracle that you need to ask for is, God, I need you to step in and help me with my humility. Maybe that's the miracle that God needs to work. God, I have this friend that desperately needs to know who you are. God, would you please move and step in and soften their heart to hear the gospel? Because here's what Gabriel said. Gabriel stepped in. He said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. I wonder what a difference in his life that meant when when Gabriel said that. It's like he said, hey, God hears you, bro. He saw those tears. He heard you. And tonight, some of you need to hear that. In miracles that you're desiring or change that you're, you're looking for, you need to know that, that God's going, hey, I hear you. I hear you. Gabriel said this, he said, do not be afraid, your prayer, been, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will, 
He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel, he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. You see, he said, hey, you're going to have a son, and you know all the people that have checked out on God while they've been waiting? Your son is going to help bring them back. Your son is going to be famous. People are going to know you. It's like, hey, your son's going to be Justin Timberlake, except better. I just compared John the Baptist to Justin Timberlake. I might get struck by lightning right now. Because what John was preaching was repentance, that the Savior was coming. And it was such more of an important message that needed to be preached. And he said, your son is going to do it. People are going to come back to him. And Zechariah looks at him and goes, hey, how is this going to happen? I'm old, and my wife is well along in years. Gabriel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. He said, look, I heard the conversation, and I've been sent to speak to you and, I, and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, and you will not be able to speak until the day that this happens. And that's what happened. He walked out. He couldn't talk until his son was born. So as you ask for a miracle, students, I want to ask you, does the heart of your request align with the heart of God? And I want to ask you, how are you going to wait for God's answer? Are you going to give up and walk away and go, you know what, God? If you don't hear me, if you ain't got my back, I'm done with this. How are you going to wait? Look at Zechariah. You imagine as he, as he, he probably got married in his late teens. You imagine as a young man praying for a child all the way through decade after decade after decade. And he starts to realize that the hair that's falling out is now gray. And he sets as maybe a 60, 70 year old, I don't know, I don't, who knows how old he was, but realizing that, man, I guess... I guess children aren't going to happen, but God, we kept praying. He was still obedient. Students, if you're praying for a miracle, I pray that what you are asking for aligns with the heart of God. And I want to challenge you with how you are waiting. Maybe you have a friend. Maybe your friend is in the room with you tonight that you're like, Man, finally got this friend here. Awesome. And you're praying that God would show them and reveal to them this idea that death was arrested on a cross and that they can begin living life by uniting their life with Christ. If you want to start praying that tonight and being faithful and not stopping to pray for that. I want to challenge you to say that I, I know that God will be faithful in hearing that prayer. Man, you've got parents that need to know the Lord. Start praying for them tonight. How will you wait? 
Will you, will you take, keep, continue to take steps in obedience like Zechariah? And be faithful in serving the Lord. Not because you're earning the answer to your prayer. I guarantee Zechariah thought that the chance of him having children was completely done. I guarantee he had, he had thrown that away. That's not even a possibility. But he continued to be faithful. How will you wait? Will you be faithful in your prayer and faithful in what you are asking for? So, you know, we look at that, that song that we had the countdown with, Oh Holy Night. Man, one of the best Christmas songs. It's my absolute favorite. And I know that we had a lot of fun laughing at that guy really trying to hit the hard notes there. But here's the deal. There's a line in that song that says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The, the meaning behind those words, you guys, is, is this anticipation of, of waiting for something that has got to be better, that the world was, was long waiting in their sin and in their error. That's what the word pining means. It was like, man, it's got to get here. It can't get here soon enough. It cannot get here soon enough. It says the world was pining for it, even if the world didn't know that they were pining for it. Students, if you're here tonight and, and you have united your life with Christ, you understand that. You understand your sin and error and what your soul was pining for. Some of you that have not united your life with Christ, you have this feeling that there has to be something more to this world than the day in and day out. That is your soul not feeling its worth. And the only thing that can give your soul its worth is the Savior that it is naturally yearning for, that it's pining for. And that's the purpose of those words, long lay the world in sin and error pining until Christ appeared and the soul felt its worth. You see, Zechariah's service in that, in that temple, it was just a moment that was meant to put glory somewhere else. It was to put glory on his son who was going to proclaim that Jesus was coming. And that's where the glory belongs, you guys. Glory isn't for us to hold and to gather and to be greedy with. Man, when God moves and does something, it all points to the cross. It all points to Jesus. It all points to himself. God is the one that is worthy of our worship, of our words, of our heart. And he is the one that gives the soul worth. It's not any activity that you're involved in. It's not any relationship that you're in. It's not any test score. Jesus Christ is the only one that gives a soul any bit of worth. And to him be the glory. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining Element. 
To find out more, go to thirdcitychristian.org backslash students.